Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. If you're a guest, again, welcome. Glad that you're here at Cuyahoga Valley Church. If you're watching online, thank you for being here. Glad that we're here. Hey, uh, I'm feeling a little playful today, so um, I brought a little something to play with. I hope you guys don't mind. You know, we're going to have a little little game time here. I uh, got a good old-fashioned Noah's Ark here for us. Good old-fashioned Noah's Ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I remember, I think we had the same exact one with our kids, and, and uh, we borrowed this one this time, and it's, it's complete with the little drop-down door, you know? And so, uh, who, do, who do we have in here? We got a little Noah's Ark action. Okay, well, you got to have uh, Mr. Noah, right? So, we got Mr. Noah, and he's bald. That means he's cool. And so, um, you got Mrs. Noah, and of course, you've got, uh, you got to have a couple giraffes, you know? They, they, uh, they're hanging out there. The zebras are coming to the ark, so we got... Would you, oh, okay, I thought for a second, like, you know, you're widowed or something. I was like, I don't know, okay. Um, got a couple of lions, you know. Uh, they're looking at the zebras thinking, hmm, we haven't had lunch yet. Uh, got some food and some water, so, you know, everybody's ready to go. So, so here's our little Noah's Ark set, and, you know, it's a pretty classic scenario. It's been a story that we've told many times, and, and so, you know, you know, God told Noah to build an ark, and pff, there he is. He called Fisher Price, and they got hooked up and <laughs> built their ark, and uh, he says, okay, we're going to have lots of animals, so we'll put the food in there. Hey, sweetie, I love you. I still carry you. You know, he carries her into the ark, and then the lions go in and say, why don't you come in with us, zebras? It's lunchtime, uh, and then we have a couple of the giraffes. They have the duck to get in, and they get in there, and, uh, you know, it's time for the flood and all that, and, 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 and here we have Noah's ark. It's a pretty classic scenario. There's been just one kind of problem every time we play with Noah's Ark or draw Noah's Ark on our nursery walls or we look at the books, there's some serious parts missing to the scenario. So, so if you're a parent, my recommendation is uh, when you buy Noah's Ark, pick up some extra animals, maybe some like, you know, little action figures and stuff, and, and when your kids go, what are the extra animals for? That's when you say, oh, by the way, the part I forgot to tell you about Noah's Ark is God kills everything. <laughs> it's like what? And we we do we we do all this, you know. We have all the cute stuff. It's like, well, okay, this leopard didn't make it, so he's drowning. And here's this freaky looking bird, and it it tried, and then you know got knocked off, and it drowned. And and you, you just get all the other animals and put them around there, and 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 uh, you know get some you know floating action figures, so that when your kid plays, they can play more accurately with the story of Noah, right? Because the part we forget is that God kills every living thing. In the flood. And, and that's, just, that's just horrific when you start to think about that. I mean, we, we forget the whole story. We, we look at one side of the coin, and we look at one side of the page, and we forget to flip it over and realize this flood story is a lot bigger than we typically tell. We save it for a later time, which is good. And I'm not against the stuff. Like, don't go home and, like, repaint your nurseries and, you know, rip the pages out of your books or whatever. It's like the, the expression um, that we give with Noah's Ark is so valuable because we want to imprint the promises of God, the provision of God in the lives of our kids young. But we can't forget there's a bigger part of the story. Like, what did Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives hear when they were in the ark? What did they see? What did they sense? Were, were, were there people pounding on the ark trying to get in? Did they hear the shrieking of animals? Did they hear the screaming of people? I mean, this is totally morbid. I'm just going to say that right now. But like, what if, what if today, as a teaching illustration, and, and don't, don't, don't worry, I, this thought crossed my mind, but I just wasn't about to go there. Um, what, what if we brought a big bucket of water up here? And, and I, had, I had a cage with maybe a, a, a cat or a dog or a bunny or maybe like a nice red, you know, cardinal from Ohio. I put it in a cage and just said, I'm going to slowly lower this cage into the water and we're all going to watch this animal die. 
Like, I would have never have done that, but just to, like, put the cage in the water and get you guys thinking, is he going to do that? Like, if we were to watch that, we'd be mortified. I'd be in trouble, serious trouble. <laughs> we would never do that. And, then if, and if for some reason we did do that, would, would we write songs about that moment? Would we, would we make little color-illustrated books and movies about that moment? And would we paint that scene on our children's nursery wall? Probably not. But again, it's not that we're against those things. We're saying that there's value in that because we, we imprint you know, the value of God's provision and protection. But there's a whole other part of the story here. And so today, as we continue in the book of Genesis, we come to this point where we talk about Noah and the flood. It's the most catastrophic event that has ever happen on our planet. It's found in the book of Genesis in chapters 5, as we see Noah come on the scene, all the way through chapter 9. It's about 90 verses. We're going to read them together. Ready? Just joking, okay? (laughs) But you can open up to uh, Genesis chapter 6. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to uh, read through uh, a couple of different portions of the narrative of the account of the flood, and then zoom in and out at different points, looking at some moments to capture some insights for us today. And so you can, we're going to just start off by looking at one area that kind of summarizes what takes place in those chapters. is Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And we're going to zoom in and out at other verses and some related verses throughout the time. So join me. Genesis 5, verse 13. It says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that he had every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Would you pray with me, please? God, as we gathered here, live, online, watching a recording, whatever, wherever we're at right now, watching, listening. God, I just pray for understanding. As we're looking at one of the most grievous accounts, and you, you know more than all of us how grievous it was, Lord. It was by your hand. It was your heart that felt these very words that we just read. So God, help us understand more about you and more about what this even means for our life. God, I thank you for the fact that you provided a way out. That even in the midst of the flood, your, your hand of grace your hand of protection and provision are evident and clear. God, I thank you that you've been gracious to us. Lord, none of us here deserve your love. And we can't earn your love, God, but you just continue to pour it out. You're so faithful to do that, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing mercy to us like you showed mercy to Noah and his family. And God, I pray specifically that of all the things that we can gather and learn about and feel um, impressed upon today, Lord, I pray that you impress upon our hearts today as we reflect back on the flood, a heart for those who don't know you heart for those who are not in relationship with you, Lord God. Give us a passion for the lost. So Lord, be with us, guide us, teach us as we take this huge account and try to cover it in such a small time. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen. amen. Basically, as I think about the whole account of Noah and the flood, I just want to share five insights. Five insights that we 
can glean through the flood story, all right? The first insight is this. We get insight into the character of God. We get insight into the character of God. We have to understand, this right here is one of the most vexing stories in the Bible. Uh, And I don't know where you're at spiritually, and hopefully we've got a collection here. Hopefully there's a lot of you here that have been walking with the Lord, and some of you are wrestling with God, and some of you are trying to figure out what you believe. But when we look at the account uh, of the flood, it's vexing because you're going, here's God who made everything, who said it's good, who said it's very good, who loves. And we understand that God's a loving God, and and we like to talk about his love and his mercy and all that. So we, we love all that part about God. But then we see a God who destroys everything he made. And in our skepticism, and we're flooded, when we have a flood internally of our skepticism and our doubt in those moments, we go, man, if God is so loving, God is so good, how could he do a mass execution of every living thing? that's, That's disturbing to us. And we have to reckon with that somehow. We have to reconcile that somehow. And, And we've talked about this before, but here's the bottom line. There's just a point where we come, we have to yield We have to yield to the right to understand everything about God. He's God, we're not. He is the creator, we're the creation. His ways are higher than our ways. We're not going to fully understand this until we see him face to face and go, oh, okay. I get a little bit more understanding now. But until then, we have to, by faith and by trust, go, there's there's this part of God I don't fully understand in his justice that led him to come to this point but I'm going to just trust and yield that. I mean, th- these are some of the saddest verses in the Bible. Like look at Genesis 6 again, verse 6 and 7. The Lord regretted that he made man. It grieved his heart. He said, I'm going to blot man out whom I've created. I'm sorry I've made them. Like that, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And it's like yet God in his foreknowledge knew this moment would come, so he wasn't surprised by it, but he had to live this moment out. When we look at Genesis 6.13, when God's telling Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence. And behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. Man, we, just, we look at what, what was ripping God's heart as he looked at us, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, it was just ripping his heart. And so we get some insight into who God is because yes, he's loving, and yes, he's creator, and he's magnificent, but we can't forget that he's also a just God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He can't be in the presence of sin. He can't tolerate sin. He can't just let us off the hook as people and as a species when, when we defy him and we rebel against him. We have to remember there's this other side to God, right? Uh, in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious. And we go, I'm so glad that God's merciful and gracious. It says that he's a Lord who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're like, yes. And he's slow to anger and he's patient with us and he's got this mercy and this love. We love this part of God. And it says that he keeps steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. We're like, yes, yes, yes. And then it says, who by no means will clear the guilty? Oh, it's a little second part that we need to understand about God. That God will not let the guilty go unpunished. And we sit here, whoa, time out here. And we look at the headlines. And we look at the things that people have done to us. We look at the things we've done to others. And we're going, where's the discipline? This is one of my favorite phrases. If you've been part of CVC, this won't be new to you. You just got to remember, delayed doesn't mean denied. God may delay his justice. He may delay his discipline, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. God's going to follow through on that. 
We have to understand that. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that God loves doing it. I love what Ezekiel 33 says in chapter, uh, chapter 33, verse 11. It says, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you see God's heart. It's like here's this, this tension where it's like God extends his love and his grace and his mercy, but he also has justice and holiness, which means one day there's going to be a day of judgment and, and rec- a reckoning for our wrongs, a reckoning for the wrongs of who we are. And, and we see this, and it's like God's the perfect parent. As a parent, I do not like disciplining my kids, right? As, remember, remember as a kid, if by any chance your parents ever said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, you're going, liar. And somehow in a moment of receiving discipline, you're going, you're getting some sick, twisted fun out of this, you know? And we don't see that there's actually love behind it. I, I hate disciplining my kids. I don't like putting them in timeouts or giving them a swat or taking stuff away. Like, that's no fun. I don't wake up every morning going, mm-hmm, how can I discipline my kids today, you know? It's, it's not something I look forward to doing. It's like, oh, you messed up again. I got, okay, what can I do, you know? And I think there's this heart of God is going, look, I don't want you... I don't want to discipline you. I don't want to have to do these things, but you're not obeying. You're not, you're not doing what you need to do. And it's so amazing because we look at the flood and we go, man, God's just like this big, big meanie up in the sky, this big God with a divine destroy button just waiting to pull it. And it's like, no. Because before the flood, 1,600 years of patience. Like, you understand something. God didn't just wake up and go, ah, oh, you guys messed up, we're done, I'm going to flood you all. 1,600 years or so of just waiting. And then even when he told Noah to build the ark, it took him about 100 years to build it. So it wasn't like people didn't have opportunity and people didn't know what was going on and people didn't have a chance. God was patient and patient. 1,600 years is a long time. You'll wait in the grocery store aisle for 1,600 years and see how you do, you know? We have a hard time with 10 minutes. 1,600 years of patience, and God finally said, why? Because of the second insight. Because we get an insight into the wickedness of man. What, what, what got God to this point? It was the wickedness of man. Look again at Genesis 5. It says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's discouraging. God just looked down upon what he made and said, it's it turned bad. I made it good. I made it very good that turned bad. And now I have to hit reset. I have to hit reset. Look at Genesis 6, verse 11 and 12 again. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted the way on the earth. We've been talking about that the last couple weeks, and if you understand anything about our spiritual makeup, we understand we have the sin nature. We're not born all good, and somehow we learn how to do bad. We're born with this bad nature that learns how to live itself out, and only through God's help do we learn how to be good. And so, obviously, what we see here is that man had got to a point of no return. Like, just think about this for a second. It must have got really, 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 really bad. And we look at our world, and we look at the, the headlines, we look at the newspapers, we look at what's going on, and we go, man, it's pretty bad out there. And part of me just wonders, I bet it's still better now than it was then. Somehow there's probably still enough good today. There's still enough good that we see take place. There's still enough positive things, the presence of God, and and great things that happen now. But at this point in time, there was such a saturation of evil. Like, think of the most heinous, evil, wicked thing that humans are capable of. 
Now imagine being Noah and living where that, that's all you saw. We see glimpses, right? You, we can go days without seeing a glimpse of the ugliness of humanity, and all of a sudden, it come rushes in, and we go, oh yeah, that's right. We can do some bad stuff. And God looks down and sees the wickedness of man. We are desperate. We are in desperate need of God's grace. Because when we, when we look at the flood and we look at the wickedness, all the people that didn't make it on the ark, that's our roots. That's what we're capable of, the, the wickedness. And so we're in such a desperate need of God's grace to not go that path. We've talked about this. Left to ourselves, we run from God, we're renegades, we're rebels, and we will go as far and we can get as ugly as God allows that leash to run out on us. And so even though he flooded the world, he was faithful. Even though we see wickedness here, God was faithful. Look at all the evil that you see around you. Look at all the evil that you see in you. God's still faithful, even in the midst of the flood of all those things. And so, man, we look at this flood account, and in light of God's faithfulness, we still get these insights about the character of God. We get insights in the wickedness of man. Look at the, uh, a little more encouraging scenario here. We get some insight into the faithfulness of Noah. Insight into the faithfulness of Noah. One of the most obvious observations made about Noah was his faithfulness. He was faithful to follow and obey God. I mean, just imagine if you were Noah, I want you to build this ark. Well, what is an ark? <laughs> and this is what I'm going to do. You're going to do what? And this is how I'm going to do it. Whoa. I mean, Noah didn't have to do it. He didn't have to follow along, but Noah stood out somehow. Now, don't get us wrong. Noah was not perfect. Noah was not this holy guy that was perfect, you know, and, and he was a sinner. He messed up. I mean, Noah did things he shouldn't have done. But in contrast, to those around him, he stood out. Why? There was a faithfulness about him. I love what Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 and 9 say. We saw this already. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That, that word in the original Hebrew is the word chain. It means grace. It's the first time in the entire Bible this word's used. The first time grace is used was with Noah. The word chain. Because of he found grace. And that word found, is a, is, it's, an, it's an active verb. It's not a passive verb. It means that Noah was looking for it. Noah was trying somehow to go, there's wickedness, there's evil, but I know there's a God, I, want, I don't want to stray from him. It says, here when we continue on, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. It doesn't mean that he was blameless in the sense that he did nothing wrong. It just means in comparison to everybody else, he was really good. Why was he really good? Because he found favor, he found grace with God. God gave it to him. Noah found it. He didn't create it. Noah didn't generate it. He found it. God gave it to him. Because of that, Noah stood out. And because of finding favor, because of trying to walk with God, he was obedient and manifested itself by being faithful and obedient. Look at all the times we see that. Genesis 6.22, for example. Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Genesis 7.5. Noah did all the Lord commanded him. I mean, this was a tall order that God was given down. And Noah just obeyed and he, and he followed the commands. I love what Hebrews 11.7 says. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In the midst of the flood of evil, in the midst of the flood of temptation, Noah found God's grace and favor. and Because of it, he was faithful. Listen, this is very important. Noah is no different than you and I. 
Noah wasn't born with a special something-something that made him better. You and I are born in the same world, in the same context, with the same nature that Noah was. If Noah can find grace, if Noah can find favor of a faithful God, then you and I can find grace and favor with a faithful God, right? If the same grace and favor of God was poured down on him and allowed him to be faithful and obedient, guess what? That same grace and favor poured down on us can help us to be faithful and obedient. There's been times when you probably just thought, I can't, I can't not sin, I, can't, I just always mess up, I'm no good, and that's not the voice of the Lord. We're all capable of being obedient. We're all capable of being faithful, just like Noah was, as an, as an example for us. Why? Because we have a God of grace. We do have a God who pours out his favor. But we have to find it. You have to look for it. You have to want it. I love this phrase. I've seen multiple times through the Bible that Noah walked with God. When you die, if Jesus hasn't come back yet and your loved ones, think about your life. How would it make you feel to, let, to know that one of the things they said about you is that they walked with God? And they walked with God. And there's just no doubt. There's no doubt in their mind and heart that you just loved God. This is no, he's an example for us. An example of what a faithful God provides no matter what flood of temptation and difficulty we face. The fourth insight we get when we think about the flood is the insight into the reality of the flood. The insight into the reality of the flood. Of course, there have been many people over the years that when we start talking about Noah's Ark and the flood, people tend to find themselves going, it's just a myth. I mean, it is, it's a hard-to-believe story. Let's talk about it. I mean, come on, really, you know, an ark, a flood, everything dies, a good God who loves everybody but wipes everybody out, but he saves eight. I mean, this is catastrophic grace. There's this uh, uh, catastrophe, but yet there's this act of grace by there's a saving of eight people. And, and, and so we go, no, it's just a myth. Or at best, metaphor. It's just a story that God wants us to kind of adopt and understand, to learn about how to be. So, so we have to wrestle with, did this really happen? Was this an actual historical event? Yes, it was. There was a real flood thousands of years ago that destroyed the earth. And, 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 and we can sit here for days and start, start talking about that. People have been arguing about this for, for, for generations. But there's just multiple pieces of evidence, and we don't have time to unpack it all today, but I just want to point to a couple things that, that really can give us confidence the flood really happened. I think the first thing is just even in the text. When you read through Genesis 6 to Genesis 9, you know what you see regarding the, the ark and Noah and the flood? Lots of details. There's lots of details. And so if this was just a myth or if this was just a story, someone went to a lot of work to deceive you and I by being that detailed. They didn't just say, oh, there was a lot of water, there was a flood, they built this thing, they got on it, and they were rescued. They were like, man, there's days and times and years and how old people were and dimensions and all this kind of stuff. There was a lot of detail. Like, look at, look at Genesis 6, verses 14 through 16. God, look at the detail God gave in Noah in building the ark. He didn't just say, build a boat. Okay, by the way, ark didn't necessarily look like a boat. That's a whole other story. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. We don't know what kind of wood that was. That tree may have existed then, doesn't exist now, or maybe it's a, a phrase. We don't, we don't know what gopher wood was, but it was specific. It wasn't like, ah, go find some stuff, you know? Make, make it out of gopher wood, this wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Think about that. I want you to make it, you know, airtight. I want it to be insulated from the outside and from the inside. That's a detail, because if it was only insulated from the outside, that's not going to be good for all that's going on on the inside. And these are, these are details here. Uh, this is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Some of you are going, okay, what's a cubit? <laughs> cubit's about 18 inches. Just think from elbow to your hand, pretty much. Okay? Okay, old, old measurement of time. 
So 300 cubits long, 50 cubits in height, and 30 cubits, uh, its height, 30 cubits, and 50 cubits in its, I messed that all up, length of the arc, 300 cubits, its breadth, okay, 550 cubits, and height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the arc, that's a good thing if it's raining, by the way, and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. So it's like, why did the door have to be on the side? Why couldn't the door be over here? Why was the roof? Like, there's a lot of details in the story. And, and, and then uh, there's, there's, there's tons of that information. Look, let's just think about the size of the ark. Thinking about the details we have here, let's think about how big this thing was. This thing, this thing was huge. I've got a little illustration on the screen to help us watch that. It was, it was, a, it was a huge rectangle, more like a floating barge. Like a, more like a floating warehouse, if we will, not necessarily a boat, right? And when you translate the measurements, it's 450 feet long, 45 feet high, 75 feet wide. It had three floors, right? Each of those floors had over 100,000 square feet of space, which is the equivalent of 20 basketball courts end-to-end across each floor. And that would fit about 570 train containers if we were to max it out. That's a, that's a lot of room for animals in there, okay? That's about 1.5 million cubic feet. And if we were to take the ark and try to put it somewhere modern, like a football stadium, for example, if we were to go down to the Brown Stadium and put it, <laughs> that's how big it would be. Past end zone to end zone. Seems huge. And you have all these specifics and all these dimensions that we see in the ark. But there's more details. Like look in Genesis 7, verses 11 through 12. In the 600 year of Noah's life, because, you know, back then in the early times, he lived longer. In the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Look at all the details. And we looked at the account, okay, two of each species, you know, let me two of every kind of animal. Two of each kind of species came on, male and female. Uh, the food and supplies that were needed there were listed. The age of Noah and his wife, uh, referring to his sons and his, their wives, the fountains of the deep, thinking, talking about the rupturing of the waters underneath and the, the, the movement of earth and continents and all that took place, the rain that fell, possibly even a canopy ripping open, dropping all this water. And there's all this information. They're talking about the highest mountain was, was over 20 feet high filled over with water. And there's all this information and detail in there. We know that right now, it even gave us the landing place. Somewhere in the mountains of Ararat, the remains of the ark are up there. And because of political turmoil and because of the, you know, the height of getting up there, we don't, we, we don't know where it is. But somewhere up in the mountains of Ararat are the petrified remains of Noah's Ark. And for centuries, we have reports of people that have seen it. And now it's difficult to get up there. There's satellite images. Some people say that's it or that's it or this is it. But we have all these reports, all these stories for centuries of people who've seen this vessel up there on the mountains. All these details point to this stuff. We don't even have time to go into all the scientific stuff. You start to look at science, especially fossil records, strata, all those kinds of things. We don't have time to get into that. Let me just pick one example of, of what the flood points to. Uh, it's, it's called polystrata. Polystrata, think about your, your, your science classes. We, we remember in the science classes, you know, in earth science, all the layers that build up in sediment, all the layers of the eons. And so this layer was, you know, 500 million years old, and this was 300 million years old, and there's coal and shale and all this kind of stuff. And so we have all these layers that are these times apart, and as they start digging around in the earth, they start finding crazy stuff like this right here. This is a tree, a petrified tree, standing up through all the layers of strata. So either that's one really, 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 really old tree, <laughs> or something happened... They uprooted the tree. You can even see the roots still on that one. Sometimes these are even found upside down. 
I don't know what could possibly have the force of turning trees upside down. I don't know, a giant cataclysmic event. Anyways, they'll find all these layers of trees, you know, vertically, upside down, horizontally, whale skeletons, other fossils, all these kinds of things through multiple layers. Well, how does that happen? Cataclysmic event, the laying down of sediment on the things that are there, and those things take root, petrify, we find out years later. I mean, there's just interesting things that if we were to dig and dig and dig and just spend time talking about scientific cool stuff, the worldwide flood answers a lot of anomalies. And I love that. People are like, well, that's just an anomaly. No, it's just the evidence of the flood, bro. It's okay. <laughs> well, that's just an anomaly. Yeah, it's evidence of a flood. There's a lot of details that point to the evidence of the flood. What about culturally? When you look at all the societies over all the world through the history of time, there are over 200 accounts of a flood. Now remember, world population, we don't know how many were there in the beginning, thousands, millions, we don't know. God wipes everybody out, saves eight. They repopulate. Those people disperse. And you start to look at all the tribes of all time through the history of the world, and there's over 200 flood accounts. There are a little bit of variations. You know, maybe they rode on the back of a turtle. <laughs> maybe it was two brothers or whatever. But here's the thing they have in common. It was a flood. Over 80%, almost 90% of all the flood narratives talk about a favored family that was preserved in the flood. Why is that? Because there was a flood. Because <laughs> there was a flood. And so over and over and over again, we look and we, we look at the narrative, there's a reality of this moment, a flood really happened. And so we see the faithfulness of God. He, he left the evidence for us that he did this. So just continue to see the faithfulness of God in the midst of the flood account. The last insight that I want to share with you today, and really the one that's going to interface with us most importantly for today, is the insight into the connection of Christ. The insight into the connection of Christ. Look at Genesis 7, 7. It says, Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives were with, with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. I want you to think about that for a second. God looked down. He saw how bad things have gotten. He said, I'm going to wipe everybody out, but I'm going to make a way to save these people. And I'm going to leave this door open, and they're going to come in. And if you read the account of Noah, it says that God shut the door of the ark. Noah didn't like, you know, have some you know, cool pulley device or whatever. God shut the door, shut him in when, when the wrath was poured out. God preserved. That's why we see it's, it's kind of this, you know, catastrophic grace because it's a catastrophe that everybody died and all that took place, but there's grace and the faithfulness of God seeing that he saved eight. You see that God made a plan from, from time past that there was, this was going to happen and he was going to make a way and there was going to be a promise at the end. Like when you read, for example, through uh, Genesis 9, verses 8 through 13, look what God said after the flood. God said to Noah and his sons with them, Behold, I've established my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, the beasts of the earth, as many came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, living, you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God initiates all these things, and at the end, he says, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm never going to destroy all of life again with water. That's, why, that's one of the reasons we know that it was a global flood, not a local flood, because we still see local floods, tsunamis, all these things destroying thousands. It's never been global, though. 
And God says, never again, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to give you a symbol to remind you. The symbol is the rainbow, his ark, his bow. And so every time we see light that's split through moisture, and we see those colors, you know what that is? That's God saying, I'm never going to destroy man again through water. It's a reminder of God's promise. That's the meaning of the rainbow. I don't care what My Little Pony or Lucky Charms or anyone else has to say. Like, that's what the rainbow means. Let me tell you, don't let anybody else hijack the rainbow for any other meaning. The ark of God, that colorful ark of uh, color, is a reminder of the ark of God. The ark of color is the ark of God. It's his promise. It's a symbol. But you know what's so cool? It's not the only symbol that God has given us to remind us of his promises and his love and his grace and his mercy and his preservation and his protection. Some of you are wearing one right now. The cross is a symbol of God's love and sacrifice and preservation. Even more than the cross, the empty tomb is a symbol, is a sign. Like sometimes I think if we want to really be accurate about the joy of being a follower of Christ, we wouldn't wear a cross. We'd wear like a little tomb with an open door because the grave is empty. The cross is empty. And that's a symbol that that God has provided a way. Here's where it comes down to it. Think about this for a second. God had this ark built and then he had of wood of all things and the door opened and people who could come in would be saved. And God closed the door and those people were saved from the judgment that happened. And there was 1,600 years or so of patience and warning and chance for those people before God closed the door. Is anyone picking up the parallel yet? Because in the same way that God provided an ark back then, God has provided an ark, if you will, now, and the ark is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming, dying on the cross, raising from a grave, offering forgiveness for our sins, is a way of escape of God's future judgment. And everyone who comes into relationship with Christ, God's going to close you in and you're secure. Everyone outside of a relationship with Jesus, everyone trusting in good works to get to heaven, everyone trusting in religion to get to heaven, everyone trusting in trying to, um, you know, just listen to religious teaching to get to heaven, isn't going to get in the ark. Because the ark isn't information. The ark isn't religion. The ark is a relationship with Jesus Christ for salvation. And one day, God's going to close the door. See, the good news is God said, I'm never going to destroy the earth with water again. The bad news, God says, I'm going to destroy it with fire. I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between water and fire, I'd probably take the water. Because when Jesus comes back, if you remember, understand, and for some of you this might be new, Jesus came, miraculous birth, lived a miraculous life, did miracles, proved he was God in flesh. He voluntarily, willingly went to the cross and died for all the sins of mankind so we can have forgiveness through him. He went to the grave for three days, rose from the grave to show us that he made a way. And when he walked around after, for 40 days, he walked around showing himself off to his followers saying, I'm alive. Now go tell everybody. Have you ever thought about how we can have such a strong understanding of Jesus and who he is and the Christian faith here when all those events happened over 2,000 years ago? Because people saw something that was so significant that changed their lives. And when you see the disciples that were completely scared and frightened turn into mega missionaries that just couldn't couldn't shut up about the love of Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Something happened. They saw the living Jesus. And what's the last thing he said when he left? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You know, we see in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39, it says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is when Christ returns. 
It says, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of man. We're reminded by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5-7, through 7, he says, and he's speaking about being a skeptic. He says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that existed then was deluged with water and perished. But by the same way, the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for what? Fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Denied doesn't mean, or delayed doesn't mean denied. Those guys got 1,600 years. We've had thousands of years. And God's got, we have no idea what the timeline is, but God's given us a chance now to hear about Christ, to believe in Christ, to get into the ark of relationship with him before he brings not the flood, but the fire. And that should be something that many of us in here are grateful for, and it should also be something that we're a little bit scared about. Because the same God who is faithful to provide a way out of the former flood is the God who is faithful to still provide a way out of the future fire. Only through Christ. I mean, just, just go back to John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. There's going to be a day when God says, game over. I'm going to shut the door. You had your chance. Think about those people when the flood came. Noah talked about it. We, we saw him building this crazy thing. We didn't believe it. And then when God shut that door and the flood came, how many of those guys wish they would have took it serious? And there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back. There's going to be a lot of people going, oh, I thought you were a myth. I thought you were a fairy tale. I thought you were just a good teacher. People are going to perish by the judgment of God. We don't like to talk like that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to rip those pages out of my Bible. God's coming back, and he's provided an ark in relationship with Christ so that we don't have to perish. See, God's faithful that way. And as we think about Noah's ark, and as we think about these events, here, here's the thing. Some of you are sitting here, and as we're talking, you might be feeling multiple things. Some of you are sitting here going, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you showed me the ark of Christ. And thank you that I'm on it. And that when you're here, and when you come, and, and you're here in my life now, and when you come, I'm, I'm preserved, I'm protected, I'm going to spend eternity with you. Some of you, you're sitting here, you know the Lord, and as we're talking like this, you have names that are scrolling through your heart and mind because you're going, if the Lord comes back right now, they're not, they're not on the ark. They're not going to make it. If they die now, before Jesus comes, one day when they have to stand before him, they're not going to be in good standing. And God stirs in you a passion for those people and for their condition. For some of you, you might be sitting here, you might be listening online going, I'm not in the ark. I don't have a relationship with Christ. If God were to return today, I'm outside. If on my way to where I'm going next, something happens to me, I'm on the outside. And yet God has informed you you're sitting here hearing a message which is the equivalent of all the people watching Noah build the ark saying there's a way out. You just have to decide what you're going to do with it. And this might be one and many 
sets of information that God will give to you over a course of time for you to make that decision. And for some of you, today's the time to make that decision. I don't know where this stuff lands. When we look at Noah and the ark, it's not just this cute little G-rated story that we give our kids. It's a story of God's power and his protection and his grace and his faithfulness and his judgment. We shouldn't be so quick to forget the whole story and what it means for us today. Let's pray, Lord. You're good. God, you're so good. And Lord, just as you provided a way out of the flood for those who you had favor and grace upon, you've provided a way out of the future judgment and the future fire. And we're so grateful for that. And God, right now, for those people here that know you and love you, that are feeling grateful, God, it's just a reminder, Noah was active. Noah, Noah didn't sit still. Noah wasn't lazy. He was always out there trying to build the ark and prepare for that day. God, help us to prepare. Help us to be loving and serving those around us. Help us to be sharing the good news of forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, let us not be spiritually lazy or spiritually negligent. God, for those of us sitting here, we're grieved by names and faces of people. We know that if they were to leave before you come back or if they were to be here when you come back, that they're not in good standing with you, that they wouldn't be rescued. Lord, let us passionately start to pray for them and remember them. Help us to open our mouths and speak the truth to them in love. And God, for anyone here today, even watching online, that does not have a relationship with Jesus, and right now they're sitting here feeling very exposed because they realize they're not in the ark, if you will. God, let them realize all they gotta do is take some steps and they're good. And if that's you here, you just tell God that. Say, God, I believe. I believe in your love. I believe in your judgment. I believe in your mercy and your grace and your holiness and your righteousness. I have so many questions. I don't have all the answers now, but I at least understand this. I'm not in relationship with you. I haven't put my faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but right here, right now, I do. Jesus, come into my life. Let me follow you. Not because I'm scared of just judgment, but because I want to experience new life. I want to to experience uh, the new coming to being. Just like Noah got off the ark and new things happen, a new life emerged, Lord God. Bring new life for me. Love you. So God, that's our heart. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, well said. Amen. Hey, if you're here today and you just need to connect face-to-face, we'd love to do that. Maybe you just need to fill out a card. You can do that. We've got a prayer cove over in that corner. If you're here and, and you're just grieved because there's some sin in your life or you got some family members you just want to lift up in prayer or friends, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you made that decision today to, to, to pray and let Christ in. Please don't leave without connecting with us face-to-face. Go to the Prayer Cove Information Center, guest reception, say, hey, I, I invited Christ in my life. You can also fill out a card, one of the ones in front of you, and give it to us in the back or give it to us face-to-face. We'd love just to follow up with you, connect. Don't forget, and you can go right from here to that New Life in Christ class taking place down in that corner. Or come back tonight at 5 if you can't come right now. Take your first steps of growth immediately. That's a, new, that's a unique opportunity for you today. Man, the story of Noah is a big deal. It's about a holy God, a faithful God, a just God who does away with the old so that he can do new things. My encouragement, everyone, live new every day. Amen.